Hello, and welcome to the City Grace Podcast. We're so happy you've decided to join us today as we learn how amazing it is to follow Jesus. Enjoy the message. I want to welcome everybody back to this series that we're doing on prayer. And, uh, uh, you know, we're calling it prayer education, kind of going back to the beginning and, and educating ourselves about prayer. Um, because for a lot of us, for a lot of Jesus followers, for a lot of Christians, maybe you were a Christian, maybe you're thinking about being a Jesus follower again, wherever you are kind of in that journey, prayer is kind of this necessary part, this, this joyful part, really. I, I'm scared to say necessary. It's necessary, but I don't want it to come across as duty. And that's kind of what we're talking about throughout this series, that if we're thinking of it as duty or ritual, we're, we may be thinking of it wrong. And um, you know, there's something more to it. And, and I hope that you have found that in these lessons. I hope you see that today. But for a lot of folks, prayer just kind of seems, you know, very ritualistic, very rote, and, and very kind of, you know, stiff and wooden and, 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 and all of these kinds of things. And nobody may actually come out and say this word, but really what you hear kind of in the undertone of people's talking is that prayer for a lot of folks is just, it's boring. Like it's not captivating, it's not engaging. And, and so when that happens, then we kind of get confused because part of the whole Jesus following life is, is prayer. So I'm supposed to pray, I should be praying. Jesus taught us to pray, but I'm confused because I, I don't seem to get as much joy out of it as he did. And then when we purely think of prayer in terms of like, well, that's how I get things from God, that doesn't always happen, right? Like we pray for a Mercedes and we end up with a Pinto, like, you know, like, hey, like, hey, what, what's going on? And, you know, we've kind of looked in this series that sometimes a Pinto is the answer we need. And, uh, you know, there's all of these. And so then prayer is kind of confusing. And then when prayer doesn't work like we think it should work, honestly, time and again, and maybe more than one time, we can get discouraged in prayer. And then over extended periods of time, we can kind of think, well, Prayer may work for some people, but prayer doesn't work for me. Prayer seems pointless. And, and then, you know, so we just kind of come to the conclusion that prayer's hard. And sometimes that's the way we feel about prayer. And then there's different kinds of prayer, right? There's the forgot to study prayer or forgot my boss is waiting on a project kind of prayer, right? That kind of, you, you throw that up, you're like you almost literally throw that prayer up. And then there's those serious prayers that we all dread praying, but just in the normal kind of tragedy of life, sometimes we end up praying when someone that we love gets sick or someone that we love, you know, maybe passes away and we pray for comfort for the families. And then there's the kind of prayers that, you know, make you quote unquote, maybe we call this normal prayer, make you quote unquote a good Christian boy or a good Christian girl. And it just, it, it seems like prayer should be simple. I mean, like we teach kids to pray, right? Kids are in the kids experience right now and they're probably talking about prayer and one of these, you know, prayer should be simple, but Yet for us, we wonder sometimes, it's like, am I even doing this right? And, and if you're coming back to church or maybe, you know, coming back to faith or maybe you were, you know, you went to Sunday school, but you kind of unplugged as you got older, or whatever it is, if you're kind of trying to, to develop and form up and, and shape up and shore up your adult version of faith, like we have to figure out what prayer is. We have to figure out how prayer works if we are going to pray well, pray well. And I don't think that we fail, fail to pray or fail to, I'm, I'm really struggling with those words. I don't think we fail to pray or fail to pray well because we're bad people. 
Like we all have the best of intentions, right? But when you don't understand what something is designed for, when you try and use something, use something in the wrong way to accomplish the wrong thing, eventually you're going to get frustrated and you're going to stop using it. And, and sadly, I think that's what happened. That's what has happened for a lot of Jesus followers when it comes to prayer. So in this series, just a quick recap. In week one, we looked at Jesus talking to us about when you begin to pray. His disciples asked him, would you teach us to pray? And he said, yeah, when you start to pray, start with Father. Start with your relationship to the one to whom you are praying. Like, focus your mind on that. Get that part right. And then everything else kind of flows out of that. Week two, we might summarize as saying, take your fingers out of your ears. Like, these aren't the most sophisticated summaries. I apologize for that. But I think it kind of works. Like in week two, we talked about some of the things that we put in the way of praying and hearing back from God in prayer. And so, you know, looking at some of the things that maybe we can remove out of our lives. Last week, we looked at, you know, we might sum up what we looked at as, are you sure you want that? Because we all know that in times of pain or in times of hunger, we're not very good at knowing what we really want. Right? And then some of us have gotten some things in life that we thought we wanted, and it turns out later on it actually gets in the way of what we really, really wanted. And so today uh, we're going to kind of close out this series, and, and I'm sure we'll be talking about prayer a lot more in the future. I love talking about prayer and teaching about prayer, but today we're going to talk about the idea of someone calling. And especially if you missed week one, I think week one to me is, is, is a, a lesson that's kind of resonate, is still kind of echoing around in my heart, in my own personal life. So especially with week one, we encourage you go back to the podcast. You can find week one. You can go through the City Grace app. You can go on our website and find uh, a week one and listen into that. But, you know, I talked about the fact that we all kind of have good intentions when it comes to prayer. And, and as a pastor and in, in, in talking with, with people about, you know, their, their faith journey, or we might call it their spiritual health, like, you know, time and time again, you'll hear some common themes come up. People say, well, I, I should be going to church more, right? And I'm not going to church enough. Or, and then the other one, of course, a big one is reading my Bible. I should be reading my Bible more. I don't read my Bible enough. And then we always hear, I, I'm not praying enough. I should be praying more. And when people talk about these things, it's interesting to me that even though they might, may not actively be a Christian, yet in each and every one of them, in all of these stories, in all of these conversations that I have with people, you always get some element of, I've been meaning to, like I, I've been planning to, I know I should be, I, I need to get back there. I've been meaning to stop by, I need to check back. I, I've been meaning to pray more, you know, but just last week was really busy and then the week before that was, and then before that it was August and like we'll come up with all kinds of reasons, right? It was August, like nobody can pray in August. It's just like we'll make up stuff, we'll make up reasons, but the reason that we make up reasons is because in us, we have this idea that we should be doing those things. What is that? What is that in us that knows that there's some God-oriented aspect to life that we should be paying more attention to, but we always kind of bump into ourselves? We always kind of bump into excuses? Like, what is it in us that feels that tug? And, and you know, we, we can't seem to escape it. Why can't we seem to escape? We can numb it for a while, right? Anybody know what I'm talking about? We can kind of muffle it for a while. Maybe we can bury it underneath a lot of concerns and a lot of things that are, that are going on. But then, you know, often and, and often at the, the most inopportune times, like a jack-in-the-box, like there it is again. And there's this, this God intention in all of us. 
There is this thing in us that, you know, maybe it might help to think of it as a God appetite. And we talked about appetites a little bit last week, but there's this divine hunger that we all have. And even when people aren't Christians, there's this thinking of, you know, there's something higher out there. There's, there's something above it all, something above us all, right? And even in, in, in phrases that we say like, well, that's not fair. Maybe it wasn't fair to you. Maybe it wasn't fair to someone else. What is that? There's a sense that there is a higher sense of justice, a higher morality. There's something above us all. Or even like in the philosophy of dualism, which a lot of people kind of don't really think about it, but they all kind of subscribe to, that there's good and evil in the world. Anybody ever heard that? Just, you know, I'm not sure I believe that there's a God, but I believe in some, you know, there's good in the world, there's evil in the world. Even inherent in that philosophy is an appeal to something above that philosophy, or else how would you know which is good and which is evil? Something above that. And we all kind of intuit these things. We, we kind of know these things. And all of our philosophies and our ideas as humans, there's this awareness of the divine. And it kind of, you know, it, it pulls on us and it, it tugs on our behaviors and it tugs on our conscience. And, and you know, there, there's things we can do to, you know, maybe not make it as acute Right? Like if you're hungry, that you know, you can snack on something. And we have this divine hunger, we might call it in us. And so there are times when we might say some good things to some people. Maybe we might do some good things for some people, go to some good places, you know, do our best to kind of elevate others. But if we're honest, and, and maybe this is why you're here, maybe this is why you feel this pull to come back to church today, come back to God, the, the personality of that higher order, whatever it might be, doing things to scratch that itch tends to leave us dissatisfied. If, here's the big if, if we ever end up even doing those things. But when we do good things, it doesn't necessarily scratch the itch to, to find whatever it is that is higher, that is outside of us. And, and so some people just kind of give up. And some people think, well, that's just the way it is. And maybe that's just the way it is for me. Like this works for others, but it doesn't work for me. Church or religion doesn't work for me because I, I tried it. And, you know, we fall into the trap of thinking, well, maybe God's just far away. And maybe God's just not really concerned with my life or what's happening with me. But then, like Jesus existed, like it's a historical reality that Jesus existed. And then the Jesus story and, and, and church, they don't really have a place when that's the way that we think about things. And then you hear Jesus saying things like everything that we need to know, everything that we could hope to know about God, about that divine thing above us, that we see all of that in Jesus, which makes us stop and realize, wait a minute, Jesus is saying like that God wants to be known? Right? And, and I think we'd all agree here this morning that Jesus is smarter than us, right? Whatever your beliefs and whatever your questions about Jesus, I think all of us here would be probably inclined to say, well, yes, Jesus was more in tune to spirituality than I am. And so here's someone smarter than me, more in tune with spirituality than me, and lived 2,000 years ago, and yet he's saying that God wants to be known, which kind of puts the idea that God wants to be in relationship. Well, that, that doesn't really work with my idea that God is distant, and God is not with me, and God is not connected to me. Jesus told his disciples in another place that he was going to go away, and that his followers should be glad that he was going to go away, because he was going to send back to them this personal presence, and the church calls that the Holy Spirit, and, and wait, you know, the personal and the persistent presence of God was, 
was meant to live with me. Jesus even taught that it was meant to live in me. Like, what do we do with that? What do we do with this, these ideas presented by Jesus if our idea about God and about this higher power is that God is meant to be distant? And if God is not meant to be distant, then why do I feel at times so very distant from him? And why does this God appetite stay with me? Why can't I seem to shake it? Why can't I seem to satisfy it and and get rid of it? And honestly, I'm not even sure that I want to. And so that's where we try things. Let me try and pray. Let me try and do church. And a lot of times we've tried praying, but then we start to pray and it's like, well, what do I say? Where do I begin? And you know, like, is this thing even on when I pray? Because it just doesn't seem like anybody's listening. And unfortunately, Unfortunately, what happens is that a lot of times our focus is on the prayer and our focus is not on the person to whom we are praying. Our focus is not, it's on the power, this idea of a higher power, but we're not focused on anything that Jesus would have called a father. We're not focused on a personality or a being behind it. What we have is a God appetite, but we treat it as a religion appetite. We have a hunger for the person that is divine and yet we try and treat it and fill it with quote unquote things that are divine. So let me go to church. Church is what? You don't need church. You need the God that made church possible. Well, let me try and pray. Now listen, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. You don't need prayer in as much as prayer is a thing. What you need is the one that you pray to speak with and to hear from. Those things are good, but those things in and of themselves are not God. And honestly, religion is a horrible substitute for God. Religion is a horrible substitute for God. How many of us know that the most damnable lies are half-truths? There's just enough there to make you think that you have it all, but you're still left empty, still left wondering, still left feeling like something's a little bit incomplete. And so I would say to you, whatever voices try and distract you, whatever ideas that leave you with good things, but rob you with from the, or of the best thing, whatever you have to do in your life, if I can give you any advice this morning, silence those voices. Put those thoughts out of your life, out of your head, and chase the person behind the prayer. I'm here to tell you this morning, to give you some really good news. God is personal. God is knowable. God is relational. God is alive. We've experienced this more. There's something in the room, right? Like when we begin to sing and pray, God is alive and God is present. And that's kind of the point of this whole series on prayer is to teach us all again and maybe inspire us and and give us hope and give us an energy for prayer again that God is available and God is accessible in the vehicle for getting to God is prayer. It's prayer. But in all of our praying, we have to know, we must know this. You have to know this. Prayer is not the end. Prayer is the means to an end. And Jesus would tell us the reason for prayer is finding the Father. So in all of our prayer, in all of our doing good things and religion and and our trying to get close to this divine thing that's above us, in all of your prayers, are you finding God? Are you finding God? Now, imagine this from God's perspective. 
You ever try and have a conversation with someone who is just, you can tell they, they don't give two flips whether you're listening or not. They, don't get, they could not care less what you were saying to them or whether or not you're listening to them. Some of you are thinking, well, yeah, that was my drive to church this morning. Like, you know, we, we've all been in circumstances and in conversations where we can tell the other person is just not engaged. Or have you ever had someone give you an insincere compliment? Like, aren't insincere compliments worse than no compliment at all? I went to, uh, it's been a little while ago now because I gave up on this idea a little while ago, I needed to, to get some nice jeans, you know, for, for when I'm up here. My mom's not here this morning, so I can talk about preaching jeans. My mom would just be shaking her head at me, you know. I, I wanted some preaching jeans, some nice jeans. And so, man, you know, you, you can't just go to the outlet for preaching jeans. You know, I, gotta, I went to Nordstrom, y'all. I went to Walnut Creek. Yeah. Got a lady to help me in Walnut Creek, Nordstrom. You know, she had some kind of fake European accent because that's how they charge you more money over there. And then, you know, she's trying to help me. And so I need some nice jeans. And so she says, well, here's, here's four different pairs of jeans, four different pairs of jeans. Go into the, it was a prayer for those jeans. Go into the trying room and try these jeans on. They were skinny jeans. Yeah. Three of them, I couldn't even get one whole leg in. Like, it's, it didn't work. Like, am I supposed to put these on my arms? Like, how does this, how does this work, right? You can only get like one. I don't remember how many pairs she gave me. I could only get like one pair on. There was only one pair that it was even a possibility, right? And I come out to look in the mirror, and there she is with her fake accent. Oh, you look so young and fashionable. I did not look young and fashionable. I looked like somebody stuck two blue toothpicks in the bottom of a pear. It was just, you know, it's just bad. It was just all bad. I took them off and went and got some Levi's. Can I hear a hearty amen? Mm-mm. It's not happening. It's not happening. And, and so when someone's mind isn't in what they're saying, when someone's heart isn't really there, you guys know what I'm talking about? Like that conversation didn't even need to happen. Like that was a waste of air. That was a waste of meeting. Think, think about it. And then the flip side of that, when, when you talk with someone and they're there and they're engaged and their eyebrows are up, you know, you ever talk to somebody and their eyebrows are up? Like that's, like that's interesting. I don't know what you're saying, but I'm there. You know, like that's, you're in it. You were in it because they are engaged and it's a lot easier to interact. But sometimes when we pray, we're not really connecting with a person. We're just saying words that we think we need to be saying. We're not really, how frustrating that must be on God's end of things. Now think about this. I, I grew up in church, you know, I, I was raised in a pastor's home since I was nine years old. I've been praying for a long time. There's been times I've been praying, been like, Jesus, 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 Jesus. Think about the other end of that conversation. What, 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 And now look, I, I'm not saying that there's no value in that because sometimes, you know, you need that to kind of like, you know, Jesus, and then, oh, I got to fix the car. Jesus, you know, oh, you got to mow the lawn. Jesus, like you're trying to, to, I'm not saying there's no value in that, but if that's all the conversation is, like after a while, God just like talk to the hand because, you know, like I, I can't really hear what's going on. And then we're just so focused on praying sometimes. 
We're so focused on what we're doing sometimes, what we're supposed to or we think we're supposed to be saying when we pray, and we completely miss the fact that behind, on the other side of our exercise, is the God of all heaven. Prayer is the way that I get to him. But so many times I'm just concentrating on the prayer. I gotta power through this. Oh, there's this thing that I really, I really need to ask him for. So let me, let me hurry up and get through the, oh, thank you, Lord, you're so wonderful thing. So I can bring him my need. It's all about my need. And I never stop to think in prayer about him. And we're just so lost in ourselves. There's no way we can hear what God might ever want to say back to us. We forget there's a who on the other end of the what that we're doing in prayer. We're not even really thinking about God. And honestly, like, again, I'm not condemning anybody. At times, it's almost like, how could we? There's so much pain. There's so much hurt. There's so much confusion and urgency and the circumstances and all the, the possible outcomes and the possible solutions to what I'm asking for, right? We're not thinking about God. We're not really asking God for his opinion or his mind or maybe even just his closeness. We are thinking about us, in our situation, we're thinking about how we might leverage our good behavior and get something we need from God or how we might excuse our bad behavior and still end up getting something from God. Now, Mark tells us about this. Mark was a follower of Jesus and uh, he wrote you know, in the new part of your Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, that the gospel according to Mark, this little mini biography of Jesus's public career. And, and he was a follower of Jesus, but he wasn't one of the close, close followers of Jesus. He was a little bit kind of on the outside. And, and, and a lot of theologians and historians think that he kind of recorded what he had witnessed from the outer circle. And then he interviewed Peter to record the kind of the insider material on Jesus and all of the, the, the workings, the inner workings of the Jesus movement. And, and Mark tells us about a time that Jesus was traveling with this crowd. There's always these crowds kind of gathering around Jesus. Everybody wanted to be close to, to Jesus. And there's, so there's this crowd that kind of builds up as Jesus is near. He's visiting this city called Jericho over in, in near Israel. And that he tells us that as Jesus was near the city on the side of the road, there was this blind beggar named Bartimaeus or Bartimaeus. And, and of course, in, in, in the Jewish terms, Bar means son of. So this was the son of Timaeus. And that's how we're introduced to this man. Not even by giving his like proper name, but just that we know that he is Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. And he's blind. And because he's blind, he can't have a trade. He has no source of income. And so he's a beggar. And in those times, it's, it's really horrible circumstances. In those times when you had like a disease that was persistent or, or disability, it was thought and it was said and it was taught that you must have done something wrong and so God cursed you with the punishment and that's why you were blind. Or worse than that, or maybe not worse to you, but uh, maybe it wasn't you that did something wrong. Maybe it was your parents. And so you, uh, you know, your mom or your dad did something so bad that God had to punish them by giving them a blind son. It was a horrible thing. And, and here this guy is Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus, blind Bart, he's called by a lot of preachers. Here's blind Bart sitting outside the city gates. He's not even in the city begging. They've pushed him to the outside. Like, I'm tired of seeing you here. I know who you are. I don't know what your dad did. I don't know what you did, but just like you're a constant reminder of God's punishment. So just go over there. 
Go outside the city and, and beg, you son of Timaeus, you know, Tim's blind kid. And I don't know what Tim did to deserve this, but those were horrible circumstances and horrible ideas and, and myths that surrounded this culture. And because other people believed a lie about how God operates, this man, through no fault of his own, was an outsider. He was marginalized pushed to the edges of society and deemed to be without social worth. And so he's out there on the side of the road, this guy that's lived with this stigma for who knows how long. And all of a sudden, as he's begging and kind of shaking his cup and can't really see what's going on, he hears a large crowd coming by and it's getting closer and closer. And so he starts, you know, trying to figure out what's going on and starts asking people and shouting out, hey, hey, what's going on out there? And they tell him, hey, Jesus, Jesus is coming to visit Jericho and there's nothing wrong with his hearing, right? He knows about Jesus and so blind Bart starts shouting out, Jesus, have mercy on me. Jesus, have mercy on me. And Jesus stops the whole parade and Jesus calls blind Bartimaeus over to him. And we see in Mark chapter 10 and verse 51, Jesus asks him, what do you want me to do for you? Now, that seems like kind of a silly question. It's a little bit obvious, isn't it? Like the disciples must be thinking, like, here's a PR nightmare. Jesus, he's blind. Like, yeah. Why are you asking him this question? The man is blind. And Jesus is like, well, I, I know he's blind, but he was just asking other people for money. So what does he want me to do for him? I'm asking what he wants with me. And, you know, like, Guys kind of get this, I think, most guys. In our house, Chelsea does all the cooking. Not because I'm, you know, a chauvinist or anything like that, but because nobody, including Chelsea, wants me to do the cooking. Chelsea's the one that does all the cooking. She loves to bake. She's an incredible, there she is. She's here today. Hi, babe. I'm so glad I'm saying something nice about you. She makes this apple pie. Y'all have heard me talk about Chelsea's apple pie. You've also heard me talk about her meatloaf, but we're gonna skip right past that. Chelsea's just awesome about this. And you know, the last couple of Thanksgiving, she's done this awesome thing where she invites over a ton of our family. So there's a lot of people coming, right? And poor Chelsea's all busted up and with nervousness and you know, hustling and bustling and just, you know, everything's going on. She's juggling a, a bunch of different things. So you know, I'll, I'll come in there because I'm a great husband. I'll come in there and I'll say, you know, well, what needs to be done? And she'll be like, well, you know, the pies still need to be baked. And, oh, I got to check on the turkey. And then if those vegetables cook too long, they're going to go. So, no, no, babe, 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 what do you want me to do? And it's like, she looks at me like, oh, go get a table and some chairs and put them out over there. Like that's, you know, she's the brains and I am there. So, you know, she, but she knows my skill set, right? Chelsea and everybody else in the house wants Jared to stay in Jared's lane. Like, don't, don't drift. Don't try and get out there and be responsible for the turkey or the vegetables or even the stuff you heat up in the microwave. Not even anything that you just open the can and plop it on the plate. Like, you, I will somehow mess that up. I'm pretty confident in myself, right? And so, the, you know, when you know what someone is capable of, it changes what you ask them to do. And so this question by Jesus is actually pretty brilliant. He gets two questions for the price of one. Jesus is basically saying, when you answer this question, number one, I'm gonna know what you want and I'm going to know if you know who I am. With one 
one question. What you say next will tell me a lot about what you think of me. What you answer or how you answer my question is going to tell me a lot about where your mind is in this conversation, where your heart is in this conversation. If you really need me or if you could have just done with anybody because Jesus is either about to get asked for money or he's about to get asked for a miracle. See, money only requires anybody to be generous, but a miracle That requires someone who can intervene from the realm of the divine into the realm of our natural situation and circumstances. And so Bartimaeus, Tim's blind son, he has a choice to make. Well, everybody's expecting me to ask for money. Money is expected. Money is easier. Money is doable. If I ask for money, there's almost about a 100% chance I'm not going to go away from this conversation, this request. I'm not going to go away empty-handed. But that's something that I could get from any other person in the crowd. But to get a miracle, he's going to have to encounter someone who's able to go above and beyond what other people can do. If he gets money, that's a good thing. But to get a miracle, he needs someone who can go far beyond more than just good. And besides, he's always been blind. This is my whole context. Everybody knows me like this. I'm Timaeus' blind son. It's my identity. If If I get money, I can buy a burger and I can eat. But if I do, if I ask for something that only Jesus can give, like if I ask for a miracle, if I ask to see again, not only do I receive healing from my blindness, my status is changed. My future is changed. If I ask for money, that would be good, but I'm gonna be right back here tomorrow asking for more money. If I ask Jesus for something that nobody else can do, it can completely alter my future. My whole future changes and it all depended on just who he thought Jesus is. Think about it. It all hinged. It all pivots on who he thought Jesus is. And with this one question, Jesus has shifted the focus off of this person's need to who he is. Do you see this? It's like Bartimaeus had the chance to come with a prayer and Jesus turned his attention from what he needed to who it was he was asking for something. And so Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? See, I don't think prayer was meant to be boring. See, I think prayer was meant to engage your thought process. See, I don't think prayer was meant to be this ritualistic, dead, wooden, stiff exercise where you just repeat the the words of some dead people and hope that it'll work for you as well. I think that Jesus wants prayer to bring you into his presence. I think Jesus wants prayer to bring all of you close to him, all of your deepest needs and all of your thoughts and all of your doubts and all of your, I think, but I'm not sure. All of that, I think Jesus intended prayer to bring it all into his presence so that Jesus cannot just give us a good thing, but so that Jesus, because of how awesome he is, he doesn't just want to give us good things. He wants to give us the best things. He doesn't want to give us a temporary thing. He wants to give us something lasting and valuable and permanent. So prayer is meant to be thoughtful, 
Prayer is meant to be rich and and meaningful and true and and right. And prayer is supposed to be a meeting of the minds. It's supposed to be a meeting of, of our mind and his mind. Prayer is supposed to be a mingling of hearts, of our hearts, broken at times as they are, and his beautiful heart that laid down his life for us. But man, that seems kind of scary at times, doesn't it? He's asking me what I want him to do. Like, what can you do? Is there anything you can't do? And sometimes we're faced with problems so big, we just don't know what we should even ask for. But here's the beautiful thing about Jesus. Even in those moments when we don't know what we should ask for. We are not sent away from him and Bartimaeus proves it. I think Bartimaeus is just like us. He's blind. This is an impossible thing to ask for, but he's in the presence of someone who is more than good. And so Bartimaeus comes and he's probably thinking, I've, I've heard a lot about you, but what I'm, what I'm thinking is almost too much to hope for. And so Jesus, I'm not really sure what to say, but Rabbi, I just want to see I don't know how to ask for what I want to ask you for. I just want to see. Like, can't you hear the heartache in his voice? Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? Man, I don't know. I just want to see. I don't know how to say what I'm feeling. I don't know how to put into words the pain of years of this stigma that has followed me around. I don't know how to express to you in a few words what this has meant to my dad and how it's left me here on the outskirts of the city and I feel like an outsider and and all. I don't really know how to put all this into words. I just want to see. I don't know how to ask you for what I want to ask you for, but I just know that I want to see. I'm Timothy's or Timaeus' blind son. I've never been very far from here. I'm not educated religiously. I've never even seen you do a miracle before. Like, I've only heard about you doing a miracle. Like, do you have a wand? Like, can somebody tell me, like, how does this work when Jesus does these miracles? So Jesus, I don't care how you do it. Oh, think about that, somebody. I don't care what you have to do to answer my prayer. I don't care what you have to maybe do in a weird way that I don't even see. I just know that I want you to be who you are and I want to see. I don't know how you do your Jesus thing, so I'm gonna leave being Jesus to you. I, I just wanna see. My heart is broken. Anybody else ever been there? God, I have no idea how. God, I have no idea what to pray. God, I have no idea what I should say to you. I I just want to see. God, I have no idea what I should be asking for in this moment. I I just want to be free. God, I'm just tired of hurting. God, I'm, I'm just tired of running. I bring no solution of my own or else I wouldn't even be here. God, I just want to see. I just want to see. And even though he didn't know what to say, and even though he didn't know how he should say it, Jesus sees his heart and his pain, and Jesus heals him. And Bartimaeus can see, and he becomes a Jesus follower. I mean, who wouldn't? Who wouldn't follow Jesus after that kind of answer? Now, that's a huge lesson. 
That's a deep and, and a rich lesson. It's dense, right? And not only that we should ask in prayer, but that questions might be asked of us in prayer. That's a big thing to think about that, to think of prayer as a conversation where we say things to God, but God also might want to say things back to us. That's something to think about. There might be questions that come to us that challenge our thinking and, and challenge our understanding of the who behind the prayer. And I believe that you know, we should pray thoughtfully. I don't think it should just be a ritual. And, and what's obvious isn't always what we really need. And I believe that our soul should be laid out vulnerable in prayer. Hello, men, some of us might even cry in prayer. When you come to that level of just surrender to God, there's something deep and emotional that happens when the creation encounters its creator. When a child finds itself in the presence of a good, good father. I think that all of those things should happen and, and that's all hugely important and it kind of dovetails in with what we talked about last week and I wanna come back to it, but there's something else that really, really bugs me about the story that I haven't brought out yet and that's that this story almost never happened. See, when Bartimaeus started crying out for Jesus to have mercy on him, there were some voices that wanted him to shut up there were some obstacles to his miracle. There were some things and some people that were in between him and Jesus. There were schedules and processions and busy roads and tons of people and circumstances and logistics and donkeys and distraction. And when Bartimaeus first calls out to Jesus, Mark tells us that many people tried to shut him up. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, told him to be quiet. So many voices trying to discourage this man from having an encounter, not just with a good thing, from receiving not just a good thing, but receiving what he really needed. So many people telling him in so many words, anything that you could ask for is just not very important. Like, who do you think you are to stop the Jesus parade? and have a conversation with him. You have no status. with You're on the outsides of the city. You have no standing here. We're not sure we want you to be the poster child of Jericho. I mean, there's a huge crowd. Bartimaeus, you're going to get some money. There are strangers here following the most generous celebrity that has ever existed. It's going to be a good day for beggars. So just be quiet. Just accept your good thing. And it turns out that Bartimaeus, he was a pretty determined guy. And so, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And I wonder for us, how many times we have been pressured by the voices around us to not get close to Jesus? How many times have we been distracted by everything going on in our busy, busy lives? How many times have we been discouraged by the doubts, even on the inside of ourselves and distracted by the hustle and the bustle of, of schedules and destinations? And when we could have had a moment with Jesus, we let Jesus walk on by. Because after all, it's just prayer. It's just prayer. It's just a duty. There's going to be a good thing that I do and maybe I'll get a good thing in exchange, but we are robbed by good things of experiencing the very best thing. 
How many times have we fallen victim to the voices in our past and maybe even the voices of past prayers and we've been victims of disengaged kind of religious experience or interactions and we've never really had a good idea of just who it was that we were coming close to in prayer. I want to challenge us today. Prayer is not just a thing. Prayer is not just a duty. Prayer is not just a ritual. Prayer is the way that you get close to the most beautiful person that has ever walked this earth, the son of the living God, the messenger of mercy, the prince of glory, the one who knows you by name and sees you in your pain. It's not just a good thing. It's the best kind of thing. And if you have found yourself ever distracted before, if you can think back to times and and moments and situations and circumstances where you did walk or where you did let Jesus walk on by, I bring you the best kind of news this morning that Jesus always comes by again. In fact, what we have felt in this service is the noise and the stirrings of a crowd in this room that are all giving us witness that Jesus has indeed come close again. He's here this morning. It's not just this space. It's not just this moment or this time, but Jesus has come into a gathering of people who knows who he is. In this room, I'm blown away as as, as pastor by the stories of of all of us, the story after story after story of people from different circumstances and in different backgrounds and needing things that were just impossible. Nobody could have given us those things. But when we got Jesus' attention, or maybe we should say when Jesus finally got ours, I am telling you there are story after story after story in this room of miracles and healing and broken hearts being put back back together and hope where all hope seemed to be lost. That's who's on the other side of prayer. That's what's possible with prayer. And you don't have to settle for a good thing when Jesus himself is the best thing. You don't have to settle with good things when Jesus himself is the best thing. But we've all ignored Jesus. We've all had those God intentions and and kind of buried them, right? And the whole church thing and the God thing, it just felt distant and it felt pointless. But one day, for all of us in this room, for most of us, I should say, in this room, we've experienced this, that one day, because of his goodness and having nothing to do with our lack of goodness, Jesus came by again. Come on, is that anybody's story this morning? Come on, can I see hands in this room? Come on, look around you at all the hands. That one day Jesus came by again. That Jesus was more than just a ritual to us. Jesus was more than just a good thing. And this time in the middle of our chaos, and this time in the middle of our distractions, when it was so close to not happening again, over all of the other voices and over all of the other distractions, we cried out against all hope to get his attention, and Jesus heard us call. He hears us call. Come on, all over this room, can you maybe close your eyes and lift your hands and tell him, thank you, Jesus, that you hear us. So blind Bart calls out to Jesus and Jesus stops the whole parade. There's people running into each other, right? 
walking too close behind the person in front of them, step on their sandal, give them a flat tire, you know, like everybody's just jostling into each other. Stops the whole parade. Jesus stopped and said, call him. And so they called to the blind man, and I love this. Cheer up. On your feet. He's calling you. Cheer up. Get on your feet. He's calling you. Now, I'm going to put this in my own words. Cheer up. Get on up. And listen up. Oh, come on, somebody. You know you want to say it with me this morning. Come on. Cheer up. Just get on up. Oh, come on. Tell somebody next to you. Just get on up. So you can't finish that word with a P. You got to leave it at, uh, just get on up. Like, just like that, right? Come on, tell somebody else. Come on, tell them right now. Go ahead. Just, uh, let me see you clap your hand. No, I'm just, uh, cheer up. Get on up and listen up. And as we wrap up these few lessons on prayer, what I want us to leave, what I want to leave us with are these three ideas. Number one, when it comes to prayer, cheer up. Get joy in your heart that you can call out to him and that he is calling you. Prayer should be the most joyful thing in this life. You know, life, the thing that leaves us disconnected, the thing that blinds us at times and we can't really see or understand what's going on. You know, life that hurts us. You know, life that leaves us asking why. Cheer up. Jesus sees you. Jesus has come close to where you are and you don't let, have to let him go by again. Just call out. The opportunity is there. Seize the moment. Cheer up and let your heart be encouraged. I want to challenge you this morning. Ignore the voices that tell you that prayer doesn't work. Ignore the voices that tell you you're not good enough. Ignore the voices that tell you you have no worth to him. Jesus is here. Jesus comes close to where we are. So cheer up. Cheer up. And then just get on up. If I can exchange one James Brownism for another, maybe we could say, get down. Get down. <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> get on your knees somewhere. Now, wait, Pastor, can't we pray from any posture? You can, and you should. But there are times and there are moments when you should make space. You should put everything else away. Tell the kids to go outside. And if you're really scared, you know, like send them in the backyard or something. Like put them out there in those weeds, dad, that you ain't mowed in like three years. You know, like put them out there. Tell them it's a treasure hunt or something. Just make space. Find a place where there are no other voices, where there are no other distractions. And there is something I don't, I can't explain it. I don't understand it exactly, but I'm telling you, I've experienced it. I know it's real. There is something about being alone with Jesus and kneeling beside your bed on a chair, on a footstool, something, kneeling and coming to him and starting like where Jesus told us to start in week number one, just to start with Father, Father. There is something about shutting out all of the rest of the world. I am telling you, it is so 
beautiful, to consciously go before him, to consciously put yourself in front of him, to see him and to engage your mind with him. And maybe even you'll hear him asking you the question, what do you want me to do for you? Where he will begin to find out not only what you need, but where he will begin to hear you tell him just exactly what you think of him and who he is and what it is that you believe or hope that he can do. Now, to kind of help us with this starting next week, and I just gotta be honest and transparent with the church. We were supposed to start 21 days of prayer this week, and I've just been slammed, and it wasn't coming out with the quality that I wanted, so we're actually gonna start our 21 days of prayer next Sunday. And I want you to just be planning for this. I want you to go ahead and start prepping your space. Start, start making some boundaries for the husband or the wife or the kids or whomever it is. Just make your space, make your time, get ready. And we're gonna kick off 21 days of prayer starting next Sunday, a time when all of us can get down in his presence, can come close to him and engage him the first thing for every one of our days. So make sure you're here next Sunday and we'll talk about that. And Jesus stopped and he called to him. And so they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you, cheer up, get up and listen up. Listen up. Now, think about that. He's calling you. He's calling you. He's calling you. Like you believe there's a God? Yeah, I believe there's a God. He's calling you. He's calling you. 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 Seven and a half billion other people. He's calling you. He knows you. He sees you. He understands you. Mm. Turn around and tell somebody close, he's calling you. He's calling you. If he's calling you, that means it's, person, it's personal. It's relational. It's relational. I, I, uh, we started small groups you know, a couple of weeks ago. I love my small group. I say that every semester and I mean it every semester. I, I love how just after two weeks of being together, it's only been two meetings these past two Thursdays and everybody's just fitting in and we're, we're, we've been sharing with each other and eating together. That's been great. Javier brought some bomb chicken this past time and mashed potatoes and Hawaiian sweet rolls. Oh my good! Everybody's dismissed. Like, you know, it just, I, I love, we, we got prayers going out for each other. There's a prayer list that we send out the day after and we're praying for each other. And, and, and if you're not part of a small group at City Grace, it's so easy for you to join. If you'll go on our app, if you go to citygrace.church, our website, you can find the groups and sign up and come try one out. If nothing else, you'll get free food. And then like, don't, you don't even have to come back. Just, and we won't charge you. It's free. Like you can have, but you need to try it. But you know, week two, Lesson two in, in our Bible story small group that I do every, every spring and every fall semester, we just covered, week two, lesson number two is one of my favorites. We just covered creation and the fall of humanity. And it, and it hits me so hard every time that God, when, when Adam and Eve, that first man and woman, when they, they failed to believe in God's goodness and, and they, they, they kind of turned their backs on God, that in the aftermath of our failure, 
in the aftermath of our rebellion and our, our disbelief in the goodness of God, that God steps to where we are and he calls to us. That God steps to where we are. And implied in that is that God steps to where we cannot leave on our own. Come on, somebody, you've been trying. You thought you had it figured out. You thought you had it beat. Come on, you can quit anytime, right? You quit two times last week. And to where we are in our failure, in our confusion, God steps and he calls us. You're here this morning because he is calling you. You have felt it in this service because he is calling you. Maybe it was during the singing. Maybe it was a moment. Maybe it was a lyric. We hear sometimes about the new people that come in that it was, it was in a hello. It was in the warmth that was felt all the way in the lobby before you even got on the inside, that there was this hunger pain you had and your God appetite and, and something hit your soul. And you felt, you heard the call of God and he sees you and he knows you and he is calling out to you, what do you want me to do for you? He wants you, he wants to know what you believe about him. He wants to know what you think about him. He wants to know where your heart is and where your mind is. And if you're just going through the motions or if you really see him for who he is, what do you believe about me. And you know, some of us, we're not sure what we believe yet, right? Some of us, we're struggling with that. That's maybe why we're here. We're trying to figure these things out. There's another story, and it's just one chapter earlier from this one in Mark chapter nine, this beautiful story of a, of a father who has a son that's just seized by the, you know, the demons, the script calls them, or the, the text calls them rather. And he, he comes to Jesus and he's saying, Jesus, if you can, would you help us? And Jesus is like, if I can. Like, if I can. And then he tells him, and what's beautiful is he doesn't send the man away. Like, you you say, if I can. Like, that's all you're able to say because you're not exactly sure who I am. All you can say about me is, well, if you can. And Jesus does not send him away. Jesus does not exclude him or put up a wall. Security doesn't step in the middle, right, and isolate him and, and push him off to the side. Jesus looks at the man and he says, look, anything is possible to those that believe, and I love, I love the dad's response, and this should give hope to so many of us. Immediately, the boy's father cried out and said, I, I do believe, help my unbelief. Come on, anybody ever been there before? I do believe, Jesus, but man, that's a big thing to ask for. Help my unbelief. No matter where you are, no matter what you're wrestling with, you don't have to have it all figured out. He's that good. He's that wonderful. He's that kind. He's that loving. He wants to know your heart. He wants to know how engaged you are. He wants to know how present you are. And even when you don't know the answer, maybe especially when we don't know the answer, Jesus, I don't know what to say. Jesus, I don't know what I should ask you for. But Jesus, I, I just want to see. Jesus, I just want to be healed. Jesus, I've been living with this thing. I've been searching for something to satisfy my hunger, but I'm worried that if I start to spell it out, I'll limit you. If I start to ask for what I think should happen, I might get in your way. So Jesus, I don't know exactly what I should say, but I know that I want to see. I know that I want to be healed. 
And Jesus answers every time. He answers every time. Jesus, I just want to see. I just want to see. I wonder this morning, is there anyone here that feels like maybe you're on the outside looking in? Maybe if you feel like you're on the edges, you're on the fringe, you're not really sure if Jesus knows you, if he notices you, if he has anything to do with you, you're not even sure that if you called out that he would stop everything to give you attention. I wonder this morning, could you imagine that he doesn't just come to give you what you think you need, but he comes to show you that he is what you and what I really, really need. He doesn't just come to play the part of a genie. He's not a different version of Santa Claus, but he's the answer. He's the hope. He is the cure. He is the peace to your storm. He is the bread to your hunger. He is the water of life that if you will drink of him and who he is, he said, you will never thirst again. Oh, has anybody found that to be true this morning? Come on all over this room one more time. Could you lift up your hands and thank him for who he is? Can you thank him for who he is? I wonder today what it is that you could ask Jesus for. I wonder today what it is that you could bring to Jesus today. I wonder today what hangs in the balance of a bold request, a God-sized request today. Can we stand all over this room today? I'm I'm about to open this altar. I'm going to have them sing this song here in just a moment. But I, w- I want to know from you, and I want you to start thinking about this before we kind of all come close around the front and sing this together. I, I want to know, what is it that you want Jesus to do for you? Now think about the question. What is it that you want him to do for you? What is it that nobody else can do for you? What is it that nobody else could fix? Nobody else could solve? Nobody else could maybe ever answer? What relationship could he mend? What forgiveness could he extend? What seems too far gone and too far out of reach? What is it that you want Jesus to do for you? And who do you think Jesus is? Are you sure? Maybe you're not sure. Maybe you're wrestling with that and you're not sure how involved he's going to be or wants to be in your life. I'm telling you, there is a relationship offered and the way that we access that relationship is through prayer. And today, You have the opportunity. You have the chance. The moment is here. Jesus is passing by. And you can come close. And you can call out because he is calling out to you this morning. For more information about City Grace, you can find us online at citygrace.church. We'll see you next week.